Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today, we have a special guest, Will Wojciechowski. Will is the Manager of Portfolio and Risk Analytics here at Von Nelson. Um, by way of background, uh, Will is a PhD in statistics. Um, prior to joining Von Nelson in 2007, um, he worked at the Coke Capital Markets Group. Uh, and with that today, uh, Will, we are very excited to have you. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having me, Dan. Excited to be here. So we brought Will on today, given um, kind of the, the movements that we've seen uh, in the market that have been uh, exasperated or emphasized uh, over within uh, the options market. Uh, and Will has does quite a bit of work for us uh, in the space here at Paul Nelson. So um, we thought we'd be great to have him join him for a conversation, ask a couple questions, and then try to see if we can uh, pin down what's what's been taking place. So, um, but Will, maybe a good place to start here is, you know, can you describe how options can influence the stock market? Yes. You know, it seems a little bit odd because, you know, the options are, are the derivative that are essentially priced off the underlying uh, stock price. Uh, so, you know, it might seem a little bit like we have a tail wagging the dog situation here where you would think that the stock price should always, you know, be the one influ- influencing the option price. But, you know, there, there are times and, and different things that can happen in the market to uh, turn that relationship around. And, you know, to really understand that effect, uh, we should probably, you know, discuss a little bit about who the people are that are buying and selling the options and what their different motivations are in order to profit from the options market. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a good, good I guess you set yourself up for your second question here, but you know, why, why don't you share a little bit on the detail and the players and, and what their motivations would be? Yeah, so, you know, there are lots of reasons why, people that you would consider as options traders would use options. Uh, they can be hedging. So, for instance, they want to buy some puts. So if the stock price goes down and they're actually holding that stock, then they won't lose money or, you know, use that put to lock in their profits. You know, they can also buy calls for, uh, for similar reasons, you know, to, to benefit from the stock price goes up. Uh, one very popular one that's been happening recently is that people have been selling calls to add income to their portfolio yield uh, just because, you know, it's, it's another way to get yield where we have a situation as we have for quite some time now where interest rates are extremely low. Uh, now, you know, you can also do some, some more exotic things also with options. Uh, you can benefit from how volatile or non-volatile the stock is. And, you know, those get into doing, you know, multiple options at the same time. And you can structure lots of different things and options to benefit from some type of movement in the underlying stock price. You know, some of these things can get uh, very complicated. But the thing to understand here is that the options traders have some view on where they think the stock price is going, and they're going to structure by buying and selling different options in order to benefit in a way that they feel uh, that price is going to go. Now, the other player uh, that we have in the options market is we have the market makers. And what these people are doing is they are just facilitating all of this action and trading between the different options traders. And they really don't want to have a view on where the underlying stock price is. So in, in that way, they're a bit different than the options trader. So essentially what the option market maker wants to do is 
they want to just make money by capturing the difference between the bid and the ask price of the auction. Now, how are they able to do this? Because you would think that, well, my gosh, the option traders would just go out and do the same thing because it seems like if you don't have to have exposure to the underlying stock price, that would be a much less uh, risky type of way to make money. Now, it's not necessarily that the, they have no risk and, it, and it's not risky at all. It can actually be very risky for the option maker. Uh, these people, they have contractual arrangements and this gives them permission to buy at the bid price and sell at the ask price. Now they are the middle person in, in this options market. Okay, so they're basically having to step in and give liquidity to the market by taking the other sides of trades where there is no one to uh, match up a buyer and seller. As I'm thinking about this, how, how can market makers um, have, do they have exposure to stock prices? Yes, and and that, as we briefly discussed above, the option maker from time to time, they may have to step in where they can't match up to buyers and sellers, and they simply make money off the bid-ask spread. And what will happen is at that point, they're going to be holding options. And unfortunately for, for them, and this is actually good for the people that are the traders of the options, is that each options price is going to change as the underlying stock price changes. And this amount of change is measured by a quantity that we call delta. Now, delta is calculated from, you know, some fairly complicated mathematical equations. Uh, but the important thing to remember is that the delta tells you how much the price of the option will move for a given amount of move in the underlying stock. Now, delta can be positive or negative, uh, indicating that if it's positive, the, that options price is going to increase as the stock price increases, and a negative delta indicates the opposite relation. Uh, and the delta can basically be between minus one and one. And when you get to those bounds of minus one and one, the, at that point, the option is essentially acting like stock. And that can be an issue for the market maker because they're holding the options and they don't want to have exposure to the stock at all. So as all of these deltas are changing and they're actually holding these options, you know, their exposure to the stock price can be increasing and decreasing and, you know, it can really cause them actually, you know, a, a lot of risk at, at that point if, uh, if they're not able to find a way to offset that position in those options. And as I'm thinking about the delta that you just described, you know, what, what would determine that, that delta? You, you talked about the, kind of the extreme bounds that you see there. Is it, is it volatility? Um, is it, is it um, yeah, you know, demand? Yeah, the, what, 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 would, what, would drive, what would drive that? Yeah, the delta can you know, be affected based upon the volatility of the stock price, uh, which you know, the volatility is very important for the option prices also. And in, and in general, the more volatile a, a stock price is, that generally turns into a more expensive option price. And then that also translates into the delta 
you know, which, which goes through some, some also fairly complicated equations to, to figure all that out. But then on top of that movement of the volatility from the delta, you also have the relationship of where the stock price is to the strike price of the option. And as the stock price gets closer to that strike price, the uh, delta will be increasing. And eventually, as the stock price goes past the strike price, the, and the option becomes more what we term in the money, which means that it's becoming uh, more valuable, that delta will increase. And that is the thing that you know, causes the risk and the problems when the market maker is holding the options. Uh, so the risk can actually be increasing as the stock price of the, sorry, the underlying stock price of the options that they're holding moves up and down. So we're talking about, you know, how the market makers might have exposure. You know, how, how would market makers try to avoid exposure in, in the underlying stock price? Yes, and, and that, that's actually a good thing to understand and, and for the topic that we're talking about here today. Uh, because it is these actions from the market makers as they're trying to avoid exposure to the underlying stock price, uh, which can actually turn around and cause this tail wagging the dog type situation. So as we discussed, the market maker wants to be the middle person. They don't want to have any exposure to the stock price, but from time to time they can get this. So what has to happen is that the market maker wants to essentially have a delta of zero. That means that, you know, they may, in their portfolio of all of the options that they've, you know, bought and sold through the day or through a longer period, they may have some options with positive deltas. They may have some options with negative deltas. And you can add all those deltas up to get your net delta exposure. The problem is, is that, since they may not be able to, you know, trade in the options that they need to make that delta zero, the other thing that they can do then is they can go out to the stock market and buy and sell shares of the stock because the stock essentially has a delta of one. So they can use the underlying stock to essentially do something that we call delta hedging. Now, remember also that we said that the delta is always changing as the stock price changes. So this gets into some very, very complicated movements and things that the option maker has to be very skilled in ensuring that they don't get too much, too much delta exposure in their portfolio. And so as the market makers are buying and selling shares to help with their delta hedging, this is where we can get into the situation where, unfortunately, we can have the tail wagging the dog. And, and it's probably a good place to ask, I mean, given uh, what we've seen over the last month or so in the market, um, would, you, would you mind running through a, a, an example? And I know there's probably no shortage of them for you to choose from, but uh, maybe something like looking at, at GameStop, I think that'd be really helpful to, to understand how this is uh, existing in, in, in real time and in the real world. Yes, yeah, GameStop is, you know, that's actually a a very, uh, very good example because when you get these extreme movements in the markets, 
you can imagine that you're also going, you know, the market maker is going to get some very extreme movement in their delta exposure if they are making a market in GameStop. And I'm, I'm sure that plenty of our listeners will know that, you know, recently there was a lot of movement in GameStop stock price. And so, you know, why don't we just talk about a, uh, so, you know, we'll just say some option traders are going out and they're saying, okay, you know what? I, I like, I see what, what's happening in GameStop here and all these people are trying to push the stock price higher and they're thinking, okay, well, how can I benefit from this movement in GameStop? And, you know, the options traders, you know, they're very uh, adept and understand that they can also use the implicit leverage of options to get a larger gain than they would if they just simply purchased GameStop stock. And so this gets into the point, too, where we talk about that, you know, each options contract is worth, well, typically is worth 100 shares of the stock. So you can see where, you know, if you have a lot of contracts being uh, bought or sold, that actually can turn into essentially, you know, some indirect way of having a lot more shares out there in the market that can affect the movement of this underlying stock. So we are here at this point and we have an options trader, you know, and they decide that they're really going to, you know, they want to make some money off of this, these large upswings that you're getting in GameStop. And they say, okay, we're going to buy calls, but not only are we going to buy calls, but we're going to buy a whole bunch of them, all right? And when that happens, they're – and since GameStop was obviously skyrocketing, you know, it's probably very likely that, well, you know what? No, one, no one's going to be crazy enough. Another options trader is going to be crazy enough to sell those calls. So what will happen? Who has to step in? As, as we said before, if there's not another – options trader to take the other side of that while the market maker has to step in. So now the market maker steps in and as we said, okay, he's going to have to sell these calls. So what will happen is that the market maker will then end up with a very uh, large, I guess you call it a short call position, and that short call then will have a negative delta. All right, which means that the market maker is going to lose money as GameStop further increases in price. Now, as we said, they want to hedge this delta. They do not want to have that exposure whatsoever because they just want to make money off the bid-ask spread. So what will they do? Okay, well, it's a negative delta. And if you remember back when we said before that, well, a stock price – has a delta of one. So what they're going to have to do is to offset a negative delta, they're going to have to get positive delta. So one thing they can do is they can go out into the market and they can purchase the shares and that will offset that negative delta. Unfortunately, in a case like GameStop is, is what we've been seeing, well, buying that stock is going to push the stock up more, right? And as we said, the delta will increase as the stock price changes. So you can actually get into this situation where you have a bit of a feedback loop. So the market maker, you know, is trying to hedge their position, but they have to buy stock to do that. And they essentially are, you know, 
pushing the stock up even more, which then can cause, you know, a lot of issues in the market because then, as we know, GameStop's price is already skyrocketing. And so then other people are going to say, oh, it's going up more. They come in to buy more, you know, other maybe stock traders, and they say, oh, I want to buy more now, and that pushes the price further. And then what happens is, well, the market maker's delta has changed, so now they have to buy more stock and et cetera, et cetera, and it keeps going and until it ends. And so, also remember – go ahead. Well, so, you know, I, I think this is, you know, a, a incredibly helpful and really nuanced. And, and I think we're – maybe I just cut you off before you're jumping into this, but can, can you go into a little more detail on, on, you know, how does this, you know, disrupt the, the normal market behavior? It sounds like it could be, you know, fairly material if, if, uh, when, when these events take place, as, you know, as we've just been uh, bear witness to. Yes, this is, uh, you know, when you get these extremes like GameStop, you know, you can always, it's it's pretty easy to tell that you are getting some uh, disruptions. Uh, so, as we said, you know, the market maker really wants to hedge themselves against this, this violent price action. And they can do that in, in some several ways. You know, they don't, not only just buying the stock is one way that they could do that, but you can also see what they will do is, remember, they make money off the bid-ask spread. So what they can do is they can change the prices at which they're willing to buy or sell or provide liquidity and increase that bid-ask spread to, to such a point that, it, you know, it gets very wide. And, you know, it could, and if it gets wide enough, it could slow down the trading so then they can kind of catch up with their delta hedging. And then also the other way that they can do this uh, is just by simply increasing the option prices, all right? And you can see this increase in something that we call the implied volatility. Now, the implied volatility, uh, not to get too fancy here at the math, but this is just a, a simple standardized transformation of an option's price. And it measures how volatile a stock price is expected to be based on the options price. So the, each options price will kind of give an implied volatility saying, well, okay, the price that these options are trading at is implying how volatile the stock is going to be going forward. So as an options price increases, the implied that says that the volatility is going to be larger. And so we can see in the market that these implied volatilities will also increase at the same time. Now, a typical non-volatile stock, you know, they will have an implied volatility between 20 to 30. Now, to show you how extreme GameStop's implied volatilities became, those implied volatilities were in the hundreds. Okay, that is extremely rare. All right, so here we can see that this uncertainty in GameStop price was, was forcing the option prices to go beyond anything that, you know, is reasonably expected or seen. And this can be an indication that, you know, the market makers were certainly being affected by GameStop's price action. And then as we talked before, you can kind of get into these feedback loops, and then ultimately we end up with the tail wagging the dog where the options makers can, you know, be having a real and material effect on, on the price movement. Now, 
Unfortunately, in, in addition to this, you know, so we have the one layer here, we have the stock price, you know, which is the ultimate, I guess, uh, cause of this, all of this action. You know, that's kind of the, the base case here, and that starts all of this. And then we have the options market, which then gets affected by this, which then feeds back into the stock price and can affect, you know, the stock price again. But not only from those two things, but we can kind of have kind of a, you know, another third indirect thing where other people that aren't even participating in GameStop can be affected. And that can actually cause other market participants that don't even play in GameStop to actually, you know, perhaps take other actions too. So, I mean, so for us at Von Nelson, we are uh, long-only equity managers, and we are benchmarked to indices. Now, if GameStop happens to be a company that is in the index that one of our bench that is our benchmark for one of our products, what can happen is is that this run-up in GameStop can actually give us a temporary and acute effect on the relative performance of our portfolio manager. All right. So what will happen is, so in GameStop case, if that's running up, and GameStop, you know, just probably isn't a typical type of company that we would want to hold in, in our portfolio, uh, at, at least at, at this time. And so if that price is running up and we're not holding it, that's going to give us a drag on our relative performance. And unfortunately, you know, that type of, you know, action that happens, you know, it negatively affects our relative performance, you know, not only us, but for other people that are participating, that can have consequences for, for what's, uh, you know, for how the market views us, but not only that, on their decision-making and, and also on our decision-making. Uh, so it, it really can turn into a uh, larger issue than just what you see in the headline of just, you know, you have this massive run-up in game stocks. Uh, price where you kind of have the, the little people trying to uh, take on the hedge funds. So it, it really can be a, uh, a large effect and, you know, and quite a bit of that could be caused by the uh, the options players and getting that feedback. Loop. Well, Will, this, is, this has been tremendously helpful, really, really insightful. I know we've, we've had a lot of questions, uh, especially particularly what you just addressed at there at the end on, on the impact of the indices and what's taking place with the options market and, and the overall effect on, on what's going on. So, um, thank you for covering this all. Thank you for all the great detail. Um, it's been uh, far too long since we brought you on, so hopefully we'll find another reason to drag you in here, and uh, we'll catch up again here soon. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan, for having me. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope some people uh, get some good information out of our discussion today. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast 
are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.